just for a little bit today, would you turn in your Bible to the book of Ephesians? To the book of Ephesians. I like to touch on this every year. I like to remind ourselves of one of the key scriptures and the key text in the life of our church. It comes out of the book of Ephesians. I do want to encourage you as you're turning over there that, you know, as I stand before you as one of the leaders, as the teaching pastor, um, I, I'm always encouraged because it's not as though we, we don't know what we're doing. And I don't mean that in a prideful way. Um, we do know what we're doing. Uh, I've never been at loss as to what we should do. And the reason is, is because it's in the Bible. And because the Bible expresses to us what is a biblical philosophy of ministry, I never wake up panicked. I've never woken up panicked. I never feel a sense of where are we going or what are we doing uh, in any way because I believe the Bible is so clear as to what we're doing and to what the master purpose is. Let me just take a few minutes with you and explain what the Lord is doing in the life of our church and out of the scripture for any church that is a biblical church. It's, you have these books, and one of these books is the letter of Paul to the church at Ephesus. And some people believe this is a circular letter that was to go to all the churches in Asia Minor, and it certainly could be true. But when you look over in chapter 1, 1, Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, of course, we just sang, he is sovereign over us. He is that by the will of God. He writes to the saints who are in Ephesus. And there's some question there if it was just to go to the saints in Ephesus or it was to be circulated. And the answer is probably both. But he writes there in 1 1 to the saints who are in Ephesus. And so, Here he's writing to these saints as to what the total purpose of God is. I think I just want to begin by letting you know that you are part of something supernatural. I mean, if you're in this building and you are here and you're in Christ, you have been sovereignly elected by God to be part of a local church. So I think when I think of our church, I don't just think of some kind of institution, some type of organization. You are part of something that a sovereign God has done in your life. If you look back in 1.3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Those of you who are in Christ Jesus have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And then he begins to enumerate those blessings. And you'll note in one four he begins that even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I mean, it just blows my mind that in the mind and heart of God, he had me in his mind from an unsaved pagan upbringing, upbringing that I had. And then you can put yourself in that when you came to Christ The the truth is, is that God the Father chose you. The word is ekloge. He elected you, and he elected you before you had done anything good or bad. He chose you in him before the foundation of the world. And would you look down at verse 4? Here's why he chose you. 
that you should be holy and blameless. So he sovereignly called you out of the world to himself. The Father chose you. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but what? I chose you. And so if you're here this morning and you're part of this ministry fair, and here we are as a body, does it not always just amaze you that God the Father chose you? In fact, it says there in verse 5 that he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And this he did, verse 5, according to the purpose of his will. And so as we just sang, he's sovereign over us. He chose us here. He predestined us. He made you his son or daughter. And he did that according to his will. And he did it for this purpose. Look at verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace. He redeemed you that he would be praised. He redeemed you and did the Father so for this point that you would live to the praise of his glorious grace. But not only is the Father at work within the Trinity, the Son is. Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So even though God the Father had his sight set on you before the world began, it was in the Son, in him in that glorious beloved son back in verse 6, in which he has blessed us in the beloved, in him, in the beloved. He says in verse 7, he redeemed you. In other words, you were on the auction block to be sold. And whenever anything was redeemed biblically, it was redeemed at the cost of a price. So if something was bought off that auction block, it had to be purchased with a price. And the wonderful truth of our salvation is that God the Father chose you from all eternity, but it was in His beloved Son that He redeemed you. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ bought you. He purchased you. In fact, look at verse 7 again. He purchased you, redeemed you through His blood. It came at a great price. It came at the price of His life. And when he redeemed you, he granted you the forgiveness of your trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Listen, Grace Church of the Valley, here is the sovereign triune God at work in your life, in my life, at work in this body. Because God the Father redeemed you. God the Son saved you by dying through his blood. He granted you the forgiveness of his sins the sins and your sins. If you look down in verse 13, I love this. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now just stop there for a second. Even though God is sovereign, it says in him you also, after you heard the word of truth, you have to hear the word of truth. Though he's sovereign and he chose you, you, he says to these people at Ephesus, after you heard, and he calls the word there, the word of truth, and then he defines it in verse 13, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, it says you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit was the down payment, the guarantee of your salvation. And so as you sit here this morning, you are the creation of God. God the Father elected you in time past. God the Son died for you in history. The Holy Spirit is now presently guaranteeing your salvation and sealing you for the day of redemption. Look at verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now you'll note three different times in chapter 1, look at verse 6, to the praise, it says there, of his glorious grace. 
verse 12, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then a third time in verse 14, at the end of 14, to the praise of his glory. And then in chapter 2, he begins to share that wonderful way that he brought Jew and Gentile together, that he broke down the hostility of the, the dividing wall, and he made two people into one through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all of that goes to one noble purpose in the church. This is not hard. This is not difficult. There is one ultimate goal in the life of any church that wants to be biblical. And so that way, we understand that as we have our marching orders from the Lord, and I'll show you what it is. Look all the way to chapter 3. It says there in verse 20, Now to him who is able, in 3.20, to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, here it is in 3.21, to him... Be, what? Glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Listen, the purpose of Grace Church of the Valley is to Him be the glory. To God be the glory. In other words, the purpose of our church is not man-centered. The purpose of our church is not program-driven. The purpose of our church isn't a beautiful building, though it is beautiful. The purpose of this church from the scripture is that our church would ever live to the praise and the glory of God. Amen? In other words, our whole raison d'etre, as the French would say, is to, re- is to release and reveal the perfections and the attributes of God. That's why we're here. And so if you're here, we want you to be part of that. We want you to be part of something that's beyond you. We want you to be part of something that God has already done at eternity past. And I say this to you, beloved, there is no such thing in all of the New Testament as a believer who wasn't in a local church. Those who were in the New Testament found themselves in a local church and the purpose of church is to bring him glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. So that's the noble purpose. You might say, well, Scott, how does that work? How how does that begin to work? And then look down in your Bible in chapter 4. He contains this passage of Scripture in 4, 1 through 16. And there's much said there on how this works out because I believe that as you look at the first three chapters, they have to do with doctrine. The next three chapters have to do with our duty. The first three chapters have to do with what we believe. The next three chapters have to do with how we behave. And so here, he's going to tell us how that church is glorified. And in one long section, in chapter 4, 1 through 16, just to give you a little bit of a big picture, there's one theme running through those 16 verses. And here's what it is. I mean, there's many things that the scripture could have said but didn't say. But for God to be glorified, here it is. The church must be unified. That's the theme of 4, 1 through 16. So listen, if God's going to be glorified in our midst, then the church must be unified. In fact, look at 4, 1. Paul is writing this from prison. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. And then he uses that word, urge you, or I plead with you. Some translations could even say, I beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. 
In other words, he tells the church who exists to glorify God that I want you to walk in a manner worthy. And he uses an interesting Greek word here. He uses the, it's the Greek word axios. And it has to do with the balancing of a scale. And so in other words, he's saying, even though you have a glorious calling and have been blessed with every blessing in the heavenly places, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. In other words, I want your life to live in such a way that you demonstrate the reality of the calling of God in your life. I want your life to come up and match that which he has done for you. And so he wants us to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. And what blows me away is he begins there. Look at verse 2. He says, with all humility and gentleness. And I remember reading that as a young man, and I thought, come on, Paul, give me something greater than that. How about with all faith? How about with all courage? How about with all gifted ministries working? Isn't it interesting that when he begins to describe how God's going to be glorified, he says God will be glorified in the unity of this church. And when we walk in this church, can you imagine what would happen if we walked in this door and walked out onto that patio and here would be the inner working of the, the body of Christ at work and he talks not about great faith. He talks not about great courage. He talks not about great giftedness at the beginning here. He talks about humility. He talks about lowliness of mind. He talks about the other person being more important than yourself. He talks about that when he places you in this body, you need to walk in this body. And here's the stuff you just can't see. Like we're going to see that stuff out there today. Praise the Lord. You can see that, you can touch that, you can buy a tri-tip dinner, you can give to the Lord's work on November 12th. Those are physical things, but there's an in-working in the life of the body, the circulatory system, and it begins with humility. Look at verse 2. There's gentleness there. I love that word. In other words, you're gentle, you're meek before God. You have your power under control. And then he says in 4.2, with patience, he uses macrothumios, and that is always a description of patience with people. In other words, you don't blow your stack with each other. You're patient with them. You have a very, not a short fuse for a man or woman that gets angrier. This is what the word means. You have a very long fuse. You're patient, and it's not usually patience with circumstances that's the word for trials this is patience with people so listen i just want to say to you for god to be glorified this church must be unified and the unity begins with a heart that has a lowly heart a heart that says you're more important than than me a heart that walks in and says i want to be gentle with you a heart that says even though you've blown it again i'm going to be extremely patient with you because i remember how patient jesus christ was with me. And then look at 4.2. He says, bearing with one another in love. You know, I think even as Shay was reading, it just struck me again there. In verse 2, you're bearing with one another in love. At the end of verse 16, and makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He says in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. And so here's the things that go to making A great church. Listen, if you want to be part of a great church, then we got to be unified. And if we're going to be unified, then there's going to be humility and gentleness and patience with one another. And then you'll note in verse 3, we're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. You'll notice that he didn't say eager to create the unity of the Spirit. 
No, because God in Christ Jesus has already died on the cross and broke down the barrier of the dividing walls. He already made the peace. He already made us one. So here, we're to maintain the unity of the spirit. We're not to create it. It's in the bond of peace. And he goes on to say there's one body and one spirit and one hope and one Lord, verse 5, and one faith and one baptism and one God, the Father, who of, you know, of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In other words, when we're disunified with people, we're violating the very oneness within the triunity of the, of the character of God. But then you'll note, that's not all he says. Did you see this in verse 7? He says, but this grace was given to each one of us. He said, what do you mean? What kind of grace? Well, I don't believe he's talking about the grace at salvation there. We've already been redeemed in chapter 1. In fact, you know in chapter 2, in verse 1, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And you know well in chapter 2, verse 8, for by the grace you have been saved through faith. So then what does he mean here in 4-7 that grace was given to each one of us? In other words, when Jesus Christ ascended into glory after his life where he descended onto the earth, he ascended into glory. And when he ascended into glory, if you look at verse 11, it says that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds, and the teachers. In other words, go down to verse 8. When he ascended on high, he led led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In other words, when he ascended after his death, burial, and resurrection in 40 days, it says that he gave gifts to men. And he gave gifts to you. He certainly gives gifts to the leadership in verse 11. But he gave you a spiritual gift. And so when he says in verse 7, this grace was given, always the texts say this. Look at verse 7. To each one of us, each one of you have been not only called out by grace in salvation, but each of you have had a grace-gifted ministry given to you to use in this body of Christ. So when we think about the ministry fair we're recognizing that grace was given to you. And if you're part of this body and you want God to be glorified and you want the church to be unified, the church is going to be unified as you play your part in it. And that's really what today is all about. You say, well, um, Scott, what happens when, when the gifted teachers and the gifted people in verse 7 do what they're supposed to do? Look at verse 12. It says there that the gifted leaders... And the gifted shepherds and the teachers to to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so I've shared once, I've shared with you a hundred times that the purpose of our Lord's Day gathering is not only to worship God, but it's to equip you for the work of ministry. In other words, we're here to equip you, to build you up. The word equipping was simply a word that spoke in the Gospels of a net that was broken and a fisherman and it needed to be mended. And so the net was mended. In other words, you don't want to be a fisherman and have the fish escaping from the net. And so they mended the net. That's the same Greek word. That same Greek word was used in biblical times when a bone was broken. A bone that was broken needed to be set so that that bone could be put back in place. My son is in medical school and he just got done with a rotation on on this. And it's amazing some of the stories that he shares to put a bone back in place, to mend that bone, to prepare that bone, to place it back so that it begins to work in its proper fashion. And so here our goal is to build you up. Our goal is to prepare you. Our goal is to equip you for, look at verse 
12, to equip the saints, which is you. And then here's what we're equipping you to do. The work of ministry. Now, he mentions there, ministry is multifaceted, okay? And you say, well, that's the role of verse 11. Well, no, that's not what it says. It's to equip, it says in verse 12, the saints, and we're equipping you for the work of ministry. You say, well, what happens when we do the work of ministry and we play our part at least one place? Some of you are involved in multiple areas, but some of you aren't, and we want to encourage you. You say, what will happen when everybody's involved in the work of ministry. Look back at verse 12. It says, for building up the body of Christ. In other words, we've gathered. We want God to be glorified. God's going to be glorified in 1 through 16 when the church is unified. And God Almighty has provided every single dimension for this church to be unified. He has given in verse 11 those as shepherds and those as teachers. But he's also not only gifted them to equip you, but he equipped you to do the work of ministry. And when everybody does the work of ministry, it says it builds up the body of Christ. Let me just encourage you. When you don't play your part, you will hurt the unity of this church. And I don't say that because, hey, like I'm trying to motivate you. I just want you to know you're such a part of this body that when you don't use your God-given gift, this body can't grow. That's what it says. That when you sit on the sidelines or sit and say somebody else will do it, you forget the valuable part that you play because when the saints do the work of ministry, when all the saints do the work of ministry, it builds up the body of Christ. That's how God designed it. And he designed it in such a way you say, well, Scott, what happens when the body of Christ is built? Look at verse 13. Here's the the task, if you will, until he gives a goal here. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And he's talking about the faith once and for all delivered to the saints and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Beloved, when the body is built up, the church begins to look like Jesus Christ. And when you begin to play your part, then you begin to attain to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. You become a mature man. You become a mature woman. And here's what I'm trying to say to you. When you play your part, this church looks like Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ ascended into glory, he left physically. And so as he leaves physically, he's no longer physically present with the disciples. But he told the disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. So as he ascends into his glory, into glory, he's now put his body in the what? In the local church. You're his hands. You're his feet. And listen, as you do the work of ministry, this body will be built up. And when it's built up, look at verse 14. I'll just a word on this. We're no longer children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Listen, when this body begins to grow, then there's, there's stability, doctrinal stability. We're not carried about by every wind of doctrine like many churches are today. They just seem like they're a boat without a rudder. They seem like they're a pitcher that doesn't look down at the catcher's mitt. There's no goal. But when we're being built up, we look like Christ and we're stable. And when the difficult trials come in life and when the, the, the complexities come in our life, we're stable in Him. And so you have a part of that. 
you play a part of that. And I just want to encourage you of that. And I want you to know my heart is so encouraged about you. I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that I'm thankful for you. I want you to know that I see you at work in the life of this church. But sometimes people ask me, Scott, how many people do you think are involved in the life of Grace Church? And a smile comes to my face because of so many. You can't walk up into this morning and see all the work that's been done and all the work for weeks that's been done, all the work that goes on in the children's ministry, all the work that weekly goes on in the building through the building committee, all the work that goes on in the youth group, all the work that I'm so thankful. And I think that we probably have, I'm guessing, well over half of our people network somewhere. But I want to encourage you, those of you who are not involved, maybe those of you who are new, this body needs you. You say, why? Because we want to look like Jesus Christ. We want to talk like Jesus Christ. We want to witness like Jesus Christ. We want this body to grow up in love and for this church to be unified and God to be glorified, then we need you as part of it. Look down at verse 16. He says there, in fact, in 15, rather speaking the truth in love, there it is again, we are to grow up in every way unto him, grow up unto the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head into Christ. Now watch this, put your name in there, from whom the whole body, not just a few, The whole body. It says there in verse 16, joined and held together, watch this, by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body so that it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I just want to tell you that you're important in this place. You say, well, Scott, I really don't have a speaking gift. Great. I'll stand up and do this, okay? You, you go and serve somewhere. You get physical and use your hands and make something like this work. Listen, the hand can't say to the eye, I have no need of you. The eye can't say to the ear, I have no need of you. In fact, Paul said in Corinthians 12 that the members which we deem less honor upon, God bestows more, you know, more abundant honor. In other words, you feel like, hey, I'm just a part, I'm a small part. Listen, the part you play is as important as the part that any of the leaders play. We're all part of that. And you've been given a grace gift so that you can make this work in our body. Listen, I'm going to bring up in just a moment David Morris. And I want to just highlight a couple things for you, maybe if you're new. If you don't know where to start, that was a lot of hands that went up. Start with our men's equippers. We begin on September 13th on Wednesday morning. It's in the bulletin there. We're going to have the privilege to study on uh, the subject of discipleship. I'd probably be fair to say that, men, I want you all there. Be there. And then I also want you to note inside that bulletin as well is the women's Bible study. That starts on Thursday. We have a Bible study for the women in the morning, and then we have a Bible study for the women in the evening, and they're studying the book of Romans. Ten weeks in the fall out of the book of Romans, and then ten weeks in the spring out of the book of Romans, and that's in there. You can stop out there at the the table as well. But listen, we've always thought and wanted to teach that there's an every member ministry at Grace Church. Hear my heart. I'm I'm thrilled with what the Lord's doing, but I do want to say we really need you. Because we want, you say, well, why do we need you? We want the work done. No, that's not it. We want our church to look like Jesus Christ, right? We want God to be glorified. 
We want the church to be unified. We want to see the saints do the work of the ministry. We want the body to build itself up in love. We want the church to look and talk and think like Christ. And you play a vital role in that. And that's how God will be glorified. You know, somebody said, have you ever heard that, uh, that analogy of a football game? You got 22 guys playing on the field who desperately need rest while there's 80,000 people in the stands who desperately need exercise. And uh, we just, we want, wouldn't it be great at our church if all of us were involved at some place, at some post? You say, well, Scott, what, what do you mean by that? Well, you're welcome just to view the tables today. And I don't want to make more of it. You know, you say, Scott, is there a mercy table out there? No. You could have the mercy, gift of mercy. There's not a mercy table. I mean, I suppose some of it is. But you just need to put that in action. Some of you have the gift of, guilt, of giving, and we need more money on the building. So you can give without having there be a giving table out there. You understand what I'm saying? You know, but I am blown away. There's a hospitality team that makes meals for ladies that have babies and people that get hurt. I, I'm just blown away by all that goes on here. And I just want to tell you, we're all part of that, God, that great cause for God to be glorified and the church to be unified. Here's what I want you to do. David will come up and explain it. But you go out there, maybe you sign up for something today, but maybe you just prayerfully consider, or if you know where you need to jump in, there's going to be some new small groups that are in the Lord's Day Bulletin that are starting. Maybe you just need to get involved in a small group so that you can be further equipped to grow. But we want you involved somewhere so that God can be honored.